Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. This is Your Folk Radio. This is Saturday, February the 12th, 2022. I hope I'm coming through okay. I finally had to bite the bullet and get a new laptop. Uh, my old one died and the uh, microphone on my headset uh, quit yesterday in the middle of the show, or actually at the beginning of the show, and then it popped back on for a while, but... Uh, Nothing but turmoil. Every time I come to Chicago, there's nothing but turmoil. And, uh, yeah, quite frankly, whenever I go on the road, there's turmoil with, uh, with the broadcast. So I hope everybody's hearing me okay. And the uh, noise, there might be a little bit of noise. I had to buy a cheap headset to get me through the weekend because I have so many at home. I don't want to have to spend a lot of money on a good one. Uh, I did a test recording. The sound was a little bit garbled, but it was understandable. So I hope you're all hearing me okay. And so uh, today I'm going to uh, continue on my series. Uh, this will be part three of the testimony of Ed Alt in front of uh, a, a court regarding, uh, I don't want to call it sovereign citizen, even though that's what it means. That is a proper terminology. Uh, I think the real terminology is constitutional citizen. And uh, there's a, a common law citizen. There's various uh, ways of describing the status of the free white person given citizenship of a particular state, uh, residency required being two years. And in order to be a citizen of these United States, you have to be a citizen of that state, reside there for two years, and then apply for citizenship. But it's very clear, the language states, you have to be a free white person. A free white person. No other race will count for citizenship under the original Constitution. And we know that the 14th Amendment was deliberately crafted to, in a very subtle way, undermine that type of citizenship and what people have falsely assumed to be uh, simply setting the slaves free after the Civil War, the language was very cunningly crafted to actually place all white people under that false designation of the 14th Amendment, and thereby not overthrowing or overturning the language of constitutional citizenship, but through an amazing process of decades, a century and a half of subtle rulings and regulations which are all contrary to the original form of citizenship have become policy. They have become policy, not law. And so I'm going to go into this document uh, which Ed Alt wrote for, uh, you know, actually for the posterity. We have that posterity of people who uh, are bound by the U.S. Constitution, and uh, we are they. We are they. Okay, so I'm going to have to quickly go to my uh, Skype file and retrieve the document which uh, was sent to me here. And uh, I've got a new browser, a Brave browser, which I've never had before. And uh, I somehow just quickly lost the document, 
but uh, I know how to get it back. So, but in the meantime, uh, I was going to share uh, things that happened uh, to me here because I'm back in Chicago for the weekend, and uh, it's an amazing place to live and live with with difficulty. <laughs> so, uh, one of the first things that happened when I drove into town, uh, driving north on Western Avenue, and the traffic is uh, medium heavy, not uh, not a large uh, you know, a large amount of traffic. Well, I'm driving in the left lane going north, and uh, to my right, a car was passing me on the right, and he cut me off and, and very, made a very quick, tight move because there was a car in front of him. And uh, then he got into my lane and then went to the left turn lane. So I figured, oh, well, he must have, uh, he was afraid of missing his left turn, so he cut me off, got into the left turn lane, and was going to wait for the light to turn green. But no, he. He looked around and just ran the red light. So he must have been in a real hurry. But this is commonplace in Chicago. This, this kind of driving happens all the time. And, of course, if you have to go through an alley, it's always being blocked by a garbage truck or a delivery truck or something of that nature. And so you have to go two or three blocks out of your way. You know, instead of one, two uh, quick left turns, you have to go around the block, come back from the other side, two blocks down from the alley from the other side and then turn right to in your desk. And then, of course, there's another van uh, in the middle of the alley, although he wasn't blocking the entire alley. So uh, I was able to go get past him, go around him. So this is the kind of thing you run into in the big city, which you rarely have to run into in small-town America. But uh, there's the odd thing here is a business is still booming, despite driving around and looking at old businesses that have simply closed down that used to be operative and more and more of these businesses are closing down because of the lockdown because of all the other things that have been going on you know uh, people losing their lives and uh, you know from getting vaccinated and uh, the, the horror stories I've been hearing from local people who got vaccinated or friends and relatives who uh, have gotten injured or have died from their shots. So uh, that's just continuing. People, uh, my my presumption from the very beginning of this was those who take the vaccine, if they're lucky enough not to get a placebo, or to get a placebo rather, then they're going to get extremely ill in short order, especially if they take the booster shots. So and that's what we're seeing, a tremendous number of people dying, the insurance companies reporting uh, 50% increases in claims after the vaccine program, the protocol was put into place. So it's very obvious that those who are, are getting the shots are getting ill and are dying. Personal testimony from several people here that uh, you know, friends of mine are still here in Chicago. But nevertheless, there's a, a building boom going on, which I can't explain why they're, they're building. Maybe what is going on is people, and of course, the uh, interest rates are starting to go up. So that's going to kill the market for buying and selling. So maybe they're anticipating more rentals. <laughs> Didn't Klaus Schwab say you will own nothing? You will all become renters? You will own nothing and like it. Isn't that what he told us? So maybe that's what's going on here in the city. Are we seeing evidence of that? Could be. 
All right. So, uh, and then I, I stopped off at a fast food joint and, uh, and ordered a burrito. And then uh, after I gave the lady my payment, she says, oh, if you want to eat in here, you have to have a vaccine passport card. I said, a what? <laughs> a vaccine passport card. If you don't have one, you can't eat in here. I said, well, can I ha take it to go? And she said, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's a, that's a new one. I never had to have a vaccine passport card before in the city. All right, and then uh, I had to get used to the airline noise because uh, if you on the north side of Chicago, you have a constant influx of landing aircraft com coming from the east, landing at O'Hare, and that kind of noise can, depending how high up they are or how low they are, it can wake you up in the middle of the night, so I had to get used to that again. But uh, it, it still amazes me that this building boom is going on. Now, maybe I just, you know, offhandedly figured out what's going on, that uh, we've got this, uh, you know, this uh, increase in interest rates, which is going to cause uh, more and more bankruptcies, uh, people having to give up their homes, etc. So I, I see this coming. I see this coming. Uh, this is the next step. <clears throat> and, of course, we have the blockade of the border by the Canadian truckers, which is going to uh, affect, I don't know how much it's going to affect the central states of America. Because, you know, the Canadian truckers bring a lot of stuff in, but America is pretty much a self-sufficient country, so I don't see that being a tremendous effect. I, I think it's going to affect Canada more than America, because uh, our population is so much bigger than theirs. But it's certainly going to impact certain industries, and uh, I know there's a lot of car parts made in Canada that uh, come across the border into Michigan. I think they still make cars in Detroit, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, but uh, various places uh, in America still uh, build cars, and uh, so it's going to affect, and there's a huge industry uh, for uh, campers, RVs, recreational vehicles, in uh, northern Indiana and other places around the country, I know that that industry has been hurting because of a lack of parts. So we can expect a, an economic slowdown, the one that we've had already, to continue slowing down. And this is all certainly part of the plan. Okay. So, and then I want to give a shout out to people who are contributing. We had uh, a brief uh, glitch Kitchen our giddy up uh, last week, where basically everything on Eurofolk Radio is done by internet, including paying for uh, airtime, and so uh, and some most of it's automatic, so that we don't have Paul and I don't have to think about it. But one of the payments didn't go through. It wasn't because there wasn't enough money in the account. It was because the payment system <laughs> crashed. Okay, so uh, it's a uh, you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely, never know, and uh, so and we have anticipated that maybe one of our um, you know payment processors may have gotten uh, a call from the ADL to close our accounts, right? But it, it turned out not to be that; it was just a, a glitch in the system, which failed to process a payment which should have been automatic. Okay, so that's the kind of thing we have to deal with in uh, uh, keeping your folk radio on the air. 
But a quick shout out to recent donors, uh, Kent in Nevada, Jeff in Colorado, Frank and, uh, uh, sorry, Frank and Lillian in Texas, Jack and Phyllis in Missouri, Joe in Ohio, and Janet in the Vermont area. So thank you all for your recent donations. Helps keep us on the air, helps pay the bills, and uh, keep us happy. It's always nice when we can pay the bills. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Again, Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio. We're back on the air after I had to get a new uh, laptop and a new headset to keep this uh, keep this thing moving. All right. So here I'm going to go back and I'll put this link in the chat room. This is the citizenship brief filed by Ed Alt. Ed Alt is his name. I th I'm not sure if this is going to translate into uh, a, uh, a, a, a... I downloaded this. I'm not sure if I can copy this and give it to the listening audience. I'm going to try here. And uh, copy this and then uh, get it to you. So, uh, and I'm... Uh, having to struggle with this new computer that uh, is not working. <laughs> it's a different brand I've never had before. That uh, Okay, it's, it doesn't want me to copy the link. Okay, so I may have to scratch that idea. All right, so I'm going to try one more time because it's on the uh, upper bar of the computer screen. And maybe uh, I'm doing it wrong. But I don't want to lose a page either. Anyway, this is entitled the Citizen Brief. Citizens, excuse me, Citizenship Brief. PDF by Edward Alt. A R L T. Filed, as I recall, from last week in 1986 or thereabouts, and where Ed was filing uh, paperwork against the government for restricting his rights and uh, because they were treating him like a 14th Amendment citizen. And as I explained at the top of the show, if you are a free white person, especially if you can demonstrate that your ancestry, that you're a member of the posterity, if you're a member of the posterity, what does that mean? Well, the, the, the Constitution was written to the founders their families, the current citizens of America, the, the free white citizens of America at that time, and to their posterity. And of course, the 1892 citizenship immigration law, which was signed by President George Washington, states very clearly that you have to be a free white person in order to be a citizen of a state and therefore a citizen of America. So that law was not overturned by the 14th Amendment. What the 14th Amendment did was to create language which gives lawyers and politicians and sneaky SOBs a way to create a, a second type of citizenship, and that's a 14th Amendment citizen. And But what that also does is if you fall into this category, 
which you as a free white person don't have to be in this category, but you are automatically included in this category uh, if you're born in modern times, post-Civil War, they start including you, even though you're a free white person, in the category of a 14th Amendment citizen. In other words, you are considered one of those freed slaves. Even though your ancestors never were slaves, the 14th Amendment puts you into that category until you declare otherwise. So you have to declare, all right, wait a minute, I'm a free white citizen, I'm a member of the posterity, and you can't treat me like a 14th Amendment citizen. You have to treat me as a quote-unquote sovereign. <laughs> There's that word. Uh, but don't use that word uh, in front of a police officer. He might just shoot you dead. Because as I reported last week, police officers have been trained to treat quote-unquote sovereign citizens as terrorists. So what you want to do is you want to be very polite and say, oh, well, see, see officer, I am not a 14th Amendment citizen. I am a constitutional citizen. That's the word you should use. Constitutional citizen. And they usually genuflect <laughs> and let you go. No, they don't, but they'll, they'll treat you with more respect than if you use the word sovereign because that word has been uh, deemed a terrorist. Uh, sovereigns have been deemed terrorists by the ADL and their cohorts. So if, uh, and if you do establish... And uh, if you want to understand how to do that, you can listen to Roger Sales on his shows. He usually covers that subject every day. And I'm working with two other groups, as a matter of fact, to uh, uh, find a do this in court before a judge so that you never get hassled again. In other words, all of these income taxes you've been paying, real estate taxes, uh, the, the uh, educational system tax that you've been paying, all these unconstitutional taxes and uh, fees that we've been paying our whole lives long, estate taxes, you have a regular inheritance. When America was founded, there were, these taxes did not exist. They have been instituted under the 14th Amendment legislation, which is, of course, fraudulent legislation. It's all fraudulent. And uh, the, the 14th Amendment, the anti-14th Amendment community is growing. And I'm meeting more and more people who are familiar with it and uh, wondering what to do about it. So uh, that's the status right now. And so I'm going to continue with point number five, the de jure citizenship of the organic law. Okay, you can call yourself an organic citizen or a common law citizen. Uh, constitutional, organic, common law, those three ideas are equivalent. And it means a lawful citizen, the de jure citizen, the citizen under law of the organic law pertains solely to, quote, free white persons, unquote. Okay, so here Mr. Alt is taking apart the language of the 14th Amendment and comparing it to the original Constitution and showing the deceptive language that was important, not to overturn it but to permit politicians and lawyers and judges to run an end run around the Constitution and create a new type of citizen category. And that's how it's being done. Of course, uh, even, even Yashua told us, be, <laughs> uh, 
curses upon you lawyers, okay? <laughs> because this is the type of thing that lawyers do. They write deceptive language to trick people into going to court when they don't need to, okay? So, beginning with the first paragraph under point number five, the de jure citizenship, quote, it becomes necessary, therefore, to determine who were citizens of the several states when the Constitution was adopted. And in order to do this, we must recur to the governments and institutions of the 13 colonies when they separated from Great Britain and formed new sovereignties. There's that word, sovereignty, although it's not applied to people today, and it's not a good idea to use that term, even though it is legal, and it is correct, uh, judicially correct, sovereign, okay, because that's the word that's used here. These states became new sovereignties, all distinct from Great Britain, and all distinct from the federal agency, not government, federal agency, which is supposed to do the will of the people and through the representatives of the states. That's how this was designed to work. Of course, now we have a ginormous federal government which has stuck its nose into our business as individuals and into the state's business time and time and time again and has usurped power here in America thanks to the 14th Amendment. Okay, so let me start this sentence again because this is important. And in order to do this, we must recur to the governments and institutions of the 13 colonies when they separated from Great Britain and formed new sovereignties and took their places in the family of independent nations. We must inquire who at that time were recognized as the people or citizens of a state whose rights and liberties had been outraged by the English government and who declared their independence and assumed the powers of government to defend their rights by force of arms, and otherwise, of course. In the opinion of the court, the legislation and histories of the times and the language used in the Declaration of Independence show that neither the class of persons who had been imported as slaves nor their descendants, whether they had become free or not, were then acknowledged as a part of the people nor intended to be included in the general words used in that memorable instrument. Unquote. This is from the Dred Scott decision, Dred Scott versus Sanford, page 407. So, what the Dred Scott decision is telling us is that when this nation was founded among the 13 original colonies, and it's obviously a reference to before the uh, 1792 immigration law, which uh, enabled free white persons to become citizens post-Constitution, that uh, p uh, white, white persons who came to America as indentured servants, upon their release or upon them buying off the, their, uh, their servitude, and uh, pleasing their owner. Yes, white people were owned as well in those days, not just blacks, not, not Indian. Uh, Indians turned out to be horrible slaves, so they let them go and they tended to escape, and they were familiar with the countryside, and so once they escaped, they were free. Okay? Uh, blacks couldn't do that because they didn't know how to survive 
in the countryside. Okay, uh, in fact, the state of Virginia had released hundreds of thousands of such blacks. Simply let them loose in the countryside after they were, you know, no, no longer useful to the plantation owners, and they became uh, malingerers, <laughs> for lack of a better word, in the society. You know, some of them were able to, you know, find jobs, but they probably had to move north to find jobs because there's no way they could uh, could compete with blacks on a plantation who were obviously obviously working at no pay. All right. So that one quote here. So let me scroll down and see uh, where the next quote is coming from. Because we need to establish the uh, quotation marks here. This may be a continuation of the Dred Scott. But uh, that's a very long quote, so I'll just continue. Quote, we give both of these laws probably a continuation from Dred Scott. We give both of these laws in the words used by the respective legislative bodies because the language in which they are framed as well as the provisions contained in them show too plainly to be misunderstood. The degraded condition of this unhappy race, I think we're talking about blacks here, they were still in force when the revolution began and are a faithful index to the state of feeling towards the class of persons of whom they speak, and of the position they occupy throughout the 13 colonies in the eyes and thoughts of the men who framed the Declaration of Independence and established the state constitutions and governments. Comment right here, Thomas Jefferson himself in his own writings thought that black people were an inferior race and did not deserve to be citizens of America. Despite the language of the Declaration of Independence, all men created equal, These the, the founders did not consider blacks to be men in the sense of white people, okay? And I'm pretty sure that's what this paragraph is about. Continuing, they show that a perpetual and impassable barrier was intended to be erected between the white race and the one which they had reduced to slavery and governed as subjects with absolute and despotic power, and which they then looked upon as so far below them in the scale of created beings, that intermarriages between white persons and Negroes or mulattoes were regarded as unnatural and immoral, and punished as crimes, not only in the parties, but in the person who joined them in marriage, okay? Well, this is biblical law, folks. Because the Bible forbids interracial marriage. It forbids us Israelites from marrying outside the Adamic race. Period. So we can see that this original constitution, uh, the founders of this country were following common law, i.e. biblical law, in making this judgment. Continuing with these statements now. And no distinction in the slave, I'm sorry, in this respect was made between the free Negro or mulatto, and the slave. But this stigma of the deepest degradation was fixed upon the whole race. Now, at this point, by, by this point in time, because this was just prior to the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and many other people were members of the American Colonization Society. And the purpose of that society was to deport 
all manumitted slaves, that is all free black, free black men and women, and put them on a boat and send them back to Africa. That was the purpose of the American Colonization Society. And it's one of those historical events that is utterly ignored by everybody today because they don't want you to know that the Founding Fathers did not consider blacks to be equal to whites. It wasn't, wasn't just in the South. It was in the North as well that this sentiment prevailed, and it prevails in the Bible, and that's why we're doing this show, to demonstrate to you that we white folk, we who are in the main descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel, Caucasian Israelites, that we have a right to determine who can be a citizen in America and who cannot. There is no provision, in fact, in international law, I think even this in the early 1900s, every nation on the face of the earth reserved the right to determine who can come within their borders and, you know, and dwell there, domicile there, or become a citizen. Every nation has the right to determine that. And no outsider can come in and say, well, I'm here, I'm a citizen, let me vote, let, let me take welfare, right? Well, of course, that's what's happening today, thanks to the kosher laws that we have in place, and by, by extension, I'm referring also to the 14th Amendment. There's no doubt that the Rothschilds had uh, used uh, the uh, radical abolitionists to compose the 14th Amendment and begin this process. But it's certainly the, the Jews and the Democratic Party who have always been behind putting the white race underneath the 14th Amendment and making us slaves as well, okay? So it took 150 years for this process to actually be completed because the South and even the North was not interested in giving voting rights to blacks in America or to any other people, okay? That didn't happen until 1965. Uh, I forget what the law was called. Uh, of course, uh, passed at the insistence of Jewish organizations all over the country that uh, blacks got the right to vote and all non-whites got the right to vote. So that, it took 150 years. Uh, I'm sorry, it was more like 110 years, sorry, uh, from the Civil War to about, about 1965 for that to be finally uh, enacted. So 100 years had passed before, even though the 14th Amendment was uh, passed around 1865, something like that, and uh, but the hundred years of implementation of this false law imposing it upon whites uh, for a hundred years resulted in the giving of the black people and others the right to vote and then anchor babies so, so anybody who's born in America suddenly becomes a citizen no that that's not true folks doesn't work that way that's not lawful citizenship you have to be a free white person that that law is still in effect and there have been people such as Barbara Martin who have established their white identity, their posterity, that they are a member of that posterity to go before a court and say, hey, 14th Amendment doesn't apply to me. And the judge ruled in her favor. And thenceforth, she had to pay no more income tax, no more land tax, uh, no, no more driver's license. She was free. A sovereign citizen, if you will. <laughs> I don't know if she used that terminology in her suit, but she became, she did become 
a constitutional free white person again. Okay? So let's continue. We refer to these historical facts for the purpose of showing the fixed opinions concerning that race upon which the statesmen of that day spoke and acted. It is necessary to do this in order to determine whether the general terms used in the Constitution of the United States as to the rights of man and the rights of the people was intended to include them, that is, blacks, or to give to them or their posterity the benefit of any of its provisions. So whether so the question put before the Supreme Court by Dred Scott, Dred Scott was a slave who escaped from his master while he and his master were traveling in Illinois. And when that slave escaped from his master, he filed this suit, which went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, is the Dred Scott decision, is their ruling, which I'm reading from. Okay? He wanted to be free. And he didn't want to be a slave. He didn't like his master, I guess. So he wasn't getting paid enough, which is understandable. But who brought him over here? Who brought them over here? It was the Jews and their slave ships that brought them over here. Okay, so if somebody uh, sends people to invade your house, do you have to make them householders? I don't think so. Okay, so the South accepted them, but the North never did. Okay. So let's continue. And here, again, he uses the word posterity. Very important word here. Okay? That uh, whether or not uh, the Constitution of the United States was to include them or to give to them or their, po their posterity, the posterity of the blacks, the benefit of any of its provisions, uh, the benefits of the Constitution. And he says, continuing, the language of the Declaration of Independence is equally conclusive. Quote, it be, oh, I'm sorry, it begins by declaring that, quote, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, which... By the way, they're referring to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. A decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. Okay, so the one nation, of course, is Britain and its colonies before the separation. It then proceeds to say, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which we don't have anymore, especially under COVID, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Uh, when was the last time your representative got your consent? When were you asked to, for your informed consent to get that COVID shot? When were you asked that? No, it's been imposed upon us by force. So, again, this, this citizenship issue is absolutely crucial and vital because if you can establish your constitutional citizenship, these people have no right to impose any of these mandates upon you. They don't have any right to begin with. 
But if you can tell them that you are a constitutional citizen not affected by the 14th Amendment, and especially if you have documentation to prove it, they have to leave you alone. Because that proves you are a member of the posterity. This, as far as I'm concerned, this is the part of the process of us coming out of Babylon. Because we are under Babylonian rule today, which is fake law. So, and they've done this internationally. But getting back to the point that I was making earlier, around the 19th century, international law recognized that every nation has a right to determine who can or cannot be a citizen of that country and who can or cannot be resident in the country. All that has been changed by the Democratic Party and the Jews who run it. Okay? Of course, with the connivance of the Republicans too, the, the Republicans, Republicans could have done something about this, but they never did. Okay? So let's continue. So, so when this happens, then uh, when we start including people as citizens who were never intended to be citizens, then what happens is what Paul refers to as be not unequally yoked together. Be not unequally yoked. And we are not to uh, deal with strangers of other races. Okay? The Bible is very clear that we, the Adamic Israelite people, are to remain segregated. This people shall dwell alone. Marriages with other races are ex explicitly forbidden all over the Old Testament. And remember the sin of Korah and Phineas driving a stake between the Israelite man and the Midianite woman, a forbidden marriage at that time, and killing them both, which healed the uh, entire 40,000 Israelites who were sick with the plague. And when he did that, they were all healed. And the New Testament uh, refers to the sins that were going on between the Israelites and forbidden marriages in at least two places in the book of Revelation and I think it's Second Peter so this is throughout the whole Bible that we are not to marry outside our race period and therefore the, those people cannot and mulattoes as we're saying here cannot become citizens even if they're part white and that was a law in America until the mid-1960s, okay? And we know who was pushing for a change in that law. We know who is trying to destroy the white race even today with their illegal program of inoculation. Okay? So let's continue. It then, we hold these truths to be self-evident that these governments are instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. When was the last time your dictator, <laughs> whether it be a mayor, uh, a county clerk, or a governor, or the resident of the White House, have actually gotten your consent for anything? No, they're dictators. Continuing, the general words above quoted would seem to embrace the whole human family. And if they were used in a similar instrument at this day, it would be so understood. But it is too clear for dispute 
that the enslaved African race were not intended to be included and formed no part of the people who framed and adopted this declaration. They were not voters. Neither were Jews. Neither were Indians. Only white people were considered citizens under the Constitution. And that is still true even today, folks. And these people formed no part of the people who framed and adopted this declaration. For if their language, as understood in that day, would embrace them, the conduct of the distinguished men who framed the Declaration of Independence would have been utterly and flagrantly inconsistent with the principles they inserted. And instead of the sympathy of mankind to which they so confidently appealed, they would have deserved and received universal rebuke and reprobation. Okay, so by the by the mere fact of the passage of time, and because certain black slaves were born in the South, and a very, very, very small number of blacks were born in the North, simply by being born in our territory does not make them citizens. There was no such thing as anchor babies in those days, which is essentially what the Dred Scott decision is telling us. Okay, continuing. Yet the men who framed this declaration were great men, high in literary requirements, high in their sense of honor, and incapable of asserting principles inconsistent with those on which they were acting. They perfectly understood the meaning of the language they used and how it would be understood by others. And they certainly would not have created the American Colonization Society to ship blacks back to Africa if they hadn't intended to include them as citizens. And they knew that it would not in any part of the civilized world be supposed to embrace the Negro race, which by common consent had been excluded from civilized governments and the family of nations and doomed to slavery. Now, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say doomed to slavery because sending them back to Africa would, would simply uh, put them back in the condition they were found in the first place. Some of them would be slaves. Some would not. Okay? So that language there, doomed to slavery, is uh, a little too, too strong. Uh, that, sh that should not have been included in this. It didn't need to be included in this declaration. And I think when they, when they wrote this, that gave, them, gave their enemies ammunition against this, uh, against this ruling. They did not have to assert that. Okay? So it sounded like, well, this is supporting the South. It's not when, when they say doomed to slavery. So that was, uh, they never had to say anything like that. So that was a mistake. Okay? Even though many of them were doomed to slavery. <laughs> but now we're included in that slavery. Okay? What kind of slavery are we talking about here? Alright, so let's continue. So, uh, that, that, that part of the ruling they should have left out. No doubt about it. So, they spoke and acted in the, according to the then established doctrines and principles and in the ordinary language of the day, and no one misunderstood them. The unhappy black race were separated from the white by indelible marks and laws long before established and were never thought of or spoken of except as property or as simply another race that should not mix with us. 
And so again, here they're using terminology which is definitely favorable to the South. And when the claims of the owner or the profit of a trader were supposed to need protection, they did not have to speak, speak of them because not all blacks are slaves. Not all blacks were property. So they didn't need to even go there, but they did. Continuing, sorry. This state of public opinion had undergone no change when the Constitution was adopted, as is equally evident from its provisions and language. Again, there's a Dred Scott versus Sanford, pages 409 and 410. Now, to comment on the, these two statements made about blacks, the fact is, both George Washington and Thomas Jefferson owned black slaves. But neither one of them considered that to be the case that this, this state of slavery should be perpetual. In fact, the Constitution had a provision in it that within 20 years, the institution of slavery, uh, the importation of blacks to America for slavery would be stopped, would be abolished. And Thomas Jefferson himself signed the law that put that into place. That did not make them citizens. So it's not true that you can uh, consider them property because they were manumitted. So there are a lot of free blacks in America, none of whom had the right to vote because our Constitution does not give it to them. It still does not give it to them. Okay? Now his rights have no business telling us what our laws are. Continuing. A quote, To all this massive proof we have still to add that Congress has repeatedly legislated upon the same construction of the Constitution that we have given. Three laws, two of which were passed almost immediately after the government went into operation, will be abundantly sufficient to show this. The two first are particularly worthy of notice because many of the men who assisted in framing the Constitution and took an active part in procuring its adoption were then in the halls of legislation and certainly understood what they meant when they used the words people of the United States and citizen in that well-considered instrument. The first of these acts is the Naturalization Law, which was passed at the second session of the First Congress, March 26, 1790, and confines the right of becoming citizens to aliens being free white persons. Okay? So I know there's a lot of people outside of identity who don't understand that the Bible and the U.S. Constitution are only for Caucasian Israel and for no other people. Under no circumstances do other races come under common law. And we admit them into our country only as temporary residents uh, for, for purposes of employment, possibly. Maybe occasionally a refugee who's really in need and not pretending to be a refugee, but not with the view of them becoming a citizen, but eventually going back home. Okay? That's what the Constitution and our Bible, because the Israelites in Scripture never kept other races as slaves. The only type of quote-unquote slavery there was in the Bible was indentured servitude, where people were 
serving out a punishment, usually working for someone else and working off their punishment. That's the only kind of quote-unquote slavery there was in Scripture. There, to my knowledge, there is no verse in Scripture where it says people are slaves for life. There is only one exception to that is when the indentured servant, when the servant, and that's the proper terminology it should use in the Bible, when the word slave appears, it's always an indentured servant. If that person, if that servant decided it was better for him or her to live under the roof of that master, then they voluntarily made an agreement with that person. Uh, I prefer to live with you the rest of my life. Uh, would you like me to do that? And if the master agreed, he, he took an awl, poked a hole in the, in the person's ear, and uh, drove a nail through the ear into the uh, stock of the doorway. I, I'm, I'm sure that was temporary. <laughs> so, but that's the only way. That's the only permanent, but that was agreed to by both owner and servant. Okay, and that ownership is only temporary. And the so-called owner could uh, end that process at any moment. And it was ended every seven years for a period of one year. And every fourth night, 49th year, the Jubilee, it was ended permanently. And all people of Israel had to be set free. That's common law, folks. That's biblical law. And to what extent the founding fathers understood biblical law, or whether they were just uh, acting out their their inheritance through through Yahweh and through the Scripture, uh, yeah, but several people uh, have made comments that yeah they, they did understand this okay so that uh, this is exclusively for white people whether they understood they were Israelites doesn't matter because we are that posterity and the posterity of Israel it still exists here among us whether the founders realized they were Israelites or not. So, okay, so let's continue. We give both of these laws in the words used by the respective legislative bodies because the language in which they are framed as well as the provisions contained in them show too plainly to be misunderstood the, what they say, the degraded condition of this unhappy race. All they had to do was say that they are not equal citizens. That's all they had to say. Okay. So you can see that the wording of the Dred Scott decision uh, you know, is what really caused all the outrage. They really can't argue against the fact that blacks were never in intended to be citizens of America. Never. Okay. So uh, let's continue. Okay. So these words do not embrace the whole human family. All right, that's true. Okay. And uh, we, are, we are talking about non-citizens when we're talking about non-whites. That's absolutely what we're talking about. Okay, so getting back to the naturalization law. And let me repeat it. The first of these acts is the naturalization law, which was passed at the second session of the first Congress, March 26, 1790, and confines the right of becoming citizens to, quote, aliens being free white persons, unquote. 
But the language of the law above quoted shows that citizenship at that time was perfectly understood to be confined to the white race. And they alone constituted the sovereignty in the government. Now, the importance of this is that the 14th Amendment in no way overthrew this language. It in no way overthrew this language. What happened was, by cutting, extremely cutting deceit, the wording of the 14th Amendment actually created a second class of citizenship, namely federal citizenship, as opposed to state citizenship, which is confined exclusively to free white persons, and began the process of, quote-unquote, normalizing the 14th Amendment and applying it to white people, to free white persons of the various states, without them realizing it. Without us realizing it. Okay? You see, and it was, it was crafted with this in mind. The Rothschilds and their, their uh, radical abolitionist puppets knew exactly what they were doing when they wrote the language of the 14th Amendment. They knew that it would take decades, if not a hundred years, to finally put this so-called amendment into effect. But because it, it contravenes the original language of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, it is in fact null and void. It is in fact null and void. And the proof of this is the fact that if you are a free white person and can prove your posterity that either you are a direct descendant of one of the founders of this country or were naturalized under the provisions of the Constitution and not the 14th Amendment, then you are considered a constitutional free white person. And none of the provisions enacted after the 14th Amendment apply to you which includes the income tax, the uh, Federal Reserve Bank. I mean, you could, theoretically, actually, lawfully, you could coin your own money as long as it's gold and silver and spend it into circulation at current value. The 14th Amendment courts could not do anything about it. They might want to assassinate you, but you could do it legally. But if you if you think that you're a 14th Amendment citizen, then they're going to treat you as such. So this is restoring our posterity to its proper place in this world under Yahweh's laws, under common law, and under the posterity. By the way, the same language of posterity is used of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are their posterity. And it's quite obvious to me that the founding fathers were aware of that. Okay, whether... whether well, it's obvious also that they did not consider Jews to be included under that posterity. Otherwise, they would have given them the right to vote, but they did not. So, let's continue. Another of the early laws of which we have spoken is the first militia law, which was passed in 1792 at the first session of the Second Congress. The language of this law is equally plain and significant with the one just mentioned. It directs that every free, able-bodied, white, male citizen, free, able-bodied, white, male citizen, okay, hold on, 
I lost my place because of this confounded new computer. <laughs> and uh, let me get find my place again. That we are dealing with people who cannot, by any degree of imagination, be considered citizens of America under the organic constitutional law. Okay, so that what we're dealing with is uh, the 14th Amendment having overthrown, not by uh, legal precedent, but by a supplemental, how should I put it, a covering, uh, a garbage a garbage sheet laid over the Constitution and state state citizenship so that we now have come under, by policy, but not by law, degraded. Now, we're the ones who have become degraded. And that's a, and that's appropriate use of, use of language here. So, that, uh, I'm almost back to where I left off. Sorry, folks. I, I had to purchase a new computer, new laptop, because the old one crashed on me. And uh, trying to find... Um, my place here, okay. So, but in in, in any case, the the, la the fact remains that it is commonly understood by common law <laughs> that only free white persons could be citizens of America. Plain and simple, only free white persons could be considered such. Okay. All right. So let me see here. Okay, so militia, okay, find my place on page 20. So the militia, it directs that every free, able-bodied white male citizen shall be enrolled in the militia. So, if you're 21 years of age and you're a white male, you're automatically part of the militia. The state of Illinois, in its original constitution, uh, had a provision excluding blacks from gun ownership. Why? Well, because they were criminals. A lot of the problem that were accruing in the North from manumitted slaves was that they would escape from the South and become marauders in the North because they knew they were less likely to be hunted down by their owners in the North could they escape across the Mason-Dixon line. Some communities accepted them, or very, very few. Certainly not the Midwest what was the Midwest in those days, they were not accepted as equals in the North, except for certain Eastern states where the radical abolitionists held sway. And this was a very small number of states. So th this was the reality of the time. Okay, so, number, so one is the fact that uh, the first uh, citizenship law excluded non-whites, and the militia did not include whites either. Next, the third act to which we have alluded is even still more decisive. It was passed as late as 1813, and it provides, quote, that from and after the termination of the war which the United States are now engaged with Great Britain, it shall not be lawful to employ on board of any public or private vessels of the United States any person or persons except citizens of the United States or persons of color, natives of the United States. Okay, so let me uh, let me take this apart. Uh, what they're actually saying. Let me read this again. 
that from and after the termination of the war in which the United States are now engaged with Great Britain, it shall not be lawful to employ on board of any public and private vessels of the United States any person or persons except citizens of the United States, which had to be free white persons, or persons of color, natives of the United States. So it's only talking about employment here on these ships. So in other words, these non-whites, be they manumitted slaves or otherwise, could be employed on public and private vessels. It's not giving them citizenship. Okay, so let's continue. If I understand these words correctly, here the line of distinction is drawn in express words. Persons of color, in the judgment of Congress, were not included in the word citizens. Okay, that's the point they're making here. Because there's a big or between citizens and persons of color. At least that's how what they, they interpret how they interpret this. And they are described as another and different class of persons and authorized to be employed if born in the United States. Okay, so that would be uh, an anchor, what would you call it? Not a citizen, an anchor worker, maybe? An anchor worker? So this language, uh, as taken apart by the Dred Scott decision, is still true today, folks, because the 14th Amendment did not overturn any of this language. Let's continue. Now back to the words of Mr. Ed Alt. Numerous other authorities also support the foregoing points as to the character of the de jure, that is, the lawful citizenship established by the Constitution and the complete disabilities placed upon persons of color as regards their status within the mass of the population. And now he quotes from Commentaries on American Law by James Kent. Quote, Blacks, whether born free or in bondage, if born under the jurisdiction and allegiance of the United States, are natives and not aliens. They are what the common law terms nat natural-born subjects. S-U-B-J-E-C-T. Subjects, not citizens. The better opinion, I should think, was that Negroes or other slaves born within and under the allegiance of the United States are natural-born subjects, but not citizens. Let me repeat that, just so you understand what's being said here. The better opinion, I should think, was that Negroes or other slaves born within and under the allegiance of the United States are natural-born subjects but not citizens. Citizens under our Constitution and laws mean free inhabitants born within the United States or naturalized under the law of Congress, unquote. Commentaries on American Law, James Kent, 7th edition, volume 2, pages 275 to 278. But birth, another quote, but birth will not confer these advantages upon a Negro or an Indian. If so, a man may acquire by the accident of birth what the government itself has no right to grant. Anchor babies, anybody? Anchor babies are all illegal. None of them are citizens. No Negro or descendant of the Negroes 
is a citizen of the Union or of any of the states. They are mere sojourners in the land. That's biblical language, folks. They may be white, but they're not Israelites. Ger in, uh, in Hebrew is a person of the same race, but not necessarily an Israelite. Inmates allowed usually by tacit consent, sometimes by legislative enactment, certain specific rights. Okay, so certain sojourners are given certain rights and privileges by law applying only to them, but that does not make them citizens. Their status and that of the citizen is not the same. Vatel, V-A-T-T-E-L, Book 1, Paragraph 213. But the clause of the Constitution in question applies to citizens, not to sojourners or inmates, unquote. That is State versus Claiborne, First Megs, N-E-I-G, apostrophe S, uh, Representative, it's an abbreviation, I repeat, uh, period, 331, 335. Another quote. Free Negroes and mulattoes are almost everywhere considered and treated as a degraded race of people insomuch that under the Constitution and laws of the United States, they cannot become citizens of the United States, unquote. Amy versus Smith, 1 Littleton, Kentucky, R-334. Another quote. It results then that the plaintiff cannot have been a citizen either of Pennsylvania or of Virginia unless she belonged to a class of society upon which, by the institutions of the states, was conferred a right to enjoy all the privileges and immunities appertaining to the state. That this was not the case, oh, I'm sorry, wait, that this was the case there is no evidence in the record to show, and the presumption is against it, that uh, this person, a female in this case, was not considered to be a citizen of either of the states. And the presumption that she might be a citizen is against it. Free Negroes and mulattoes are almost everywhere considered and treated as a degraded race of people, insomuch so that under the Constitution and laws of the United States, they cannot become citizens of the United States. So this is the organic law which pertained in America before the 14th Amendment. Mr. Arbt continues, Please take note that the above opinions characterize non-whites as being sojourners and inmates in the land. These strangers were forever barred by the organic law from attaining of the de jure citizenship. No matter how long they and their descendants might reside in the land, their presence was regarded by the law as temporary. Remember, the Israelites were even forbidden to make covenants with them. However, they did deal commercially with non-Israelites. There are only two forms of social intercourse between Israel and non-Israel in the Bible, and that is by a, by a national, where one, one nation deals with another nation, either in peace or at war, and under employment temporary employment. And this all is commercial law. The organic law applies only to Israelites and among Israelites. And one more sentence here. Though they might reside upon the land, such could never be sanctioned by the common law as, quote, inhabitants 
and thereby obtain a lodial title to it. All right, so they would never have ownership as a citizen, uh, as a true citizen could. And he quotes here again, according to a well-settled principle of the common law, now in force, none but citizens can hold our lands, unquote. Amy versus Smith at page 339. So the word citizen, prior to the 14th Amendment, only applied to free white persons, ladies and gentlemen, do you understand? Mr. Arch continues. The land is held and vested in the sovereignty of the republic. There's that word sovereign, although it's a, it's a generalized word, sovereignty, meaning the people of the United States. One who, not, it's not being used in terms of individuals. One who is not of that sovereignty, of which a sovereign citizen would be, can never attain to permanent possession thereof transferable, transferable to his own posterity. So, if a black person or a Jew or any other non-white somehow manages to obtain a property, they cannot transmit it to their posterity. Upon their death, they have to give it back to a sovereign citizen, a constitutional citizen. And that actually applied to Israel. The Israelites were supposed to own the land in perpetuity and not give it up to non-Israelites. And if the Israelite was unable to, uh, let's say the, the property itself was uh, under law given up because of the crime, the punishment for the crime that the person had committed, that person would have to give it up to the other Israelite or to a kinsman redeemer who would be able to pay the debt for that Israelite and thereby keep the land in the family. So in reality, we are never to give up the land to non-Israelites. Let's continue. Quote, A result of this doctrine was that when lands were claimed by descent, the capacity to take must have existed in the air at the instant of death of the ancestor, having no inheritable blood, incapable of taking or of transmitting by descent, as the freehold cannot keep in abeyance without any inquest of office, it is cheated and vested in the sovereign on the death of the alien, or where the ancestor died, not leaving an heir capable of taking by descent. Okay? This is biblical law, folks. This is biblical law. The law which nihil facet frustra, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Don't want you to be frustrated if you're non-white, but that's the case. This is the law, folks. Will give no estate which it does not enable the donee to keep. Okay? Non-heirs, just like the covenants in Scripture, made between Yahweh himself and the people of Israel and no one else. No one else can inherit what belongs to us. We're not even supposed to give it away. But because, number one, the Edomites have stolen our identity, pretend to be us, and have claimed to be posterity when they are not, and through the 14th Amendment have stolen our nation from us, 
and our lawful citizenship from us, it devolves upon us to get it back. Quote, the result of this doctrine was that when lands were claimed by descent, the capacity to take must have existed in the air at the instant of death of the ancestor, having no inheritable blood, blah, 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 and so that the, the non, non-white could not have possession of the land. Okay, period. It would revert to a relative of the white person. The capacity of the appellees to take the premises in controversy by descent must be determined by the law as it existed in 1859. Okay, so, before the 14th Amendment, absolutely. So, apparently, a non-white group of people were laying claim to property because apparently they had lived on it and perhaps the white owner died and so they claimed possession because the owner died. If they had not capacity then, however it may have been allowed by subsequent laws, such laws cannot operate retrospectively to divest an estate in lands which then vested in the state. Or if it did not vest in the state, was in abeyance from the death of the ancestor without a tenant. Okay, again, the law of descent still applies. And without season, S-E-I-S-I-N, not sure what that word means. Season until the capacity of the appellees was enlarged. Okay, so unless the appellees somehow uh, got a, a a writ from the previous white owner that they could stay there until some other white person came along to whom it belonged, to properly belong, unless they had such a document, they could lay no claim to it. At the death of the ancestor, they were not citizens of the United States, nor were they, so far as any relation they could have with other states, citizens of Ohio. They were merely, so if you happen to be a citizen of another state, then you could lay such a claim, as long as you're white and free. They were merely residents of that state, entitled to whatever of right or privilege the law of that state granted to them. Such rights or privileges could at any moment have been withdrawn by Ohio and without any positive violation of law or any offense by the appellees. Their continuous residence could have been forbidden. Right? Same applies to the covenant between Yahweh and Israel. You can't live among us. Their condition was peculiar and anomalous. It resulted from the mode in which their ancestors were originally introduced into this country and the condition of inferiority and subordination to the dominant race to which the law consigned them. They were not aliens but natives, born within the dominion of the government. They were inhabitants and subjects of the state, bound to obey its laws, subject to its burdens, and entitled to protection in person, in life, and liberty, and property, so long as their residence was permitted. Underline, so long as their residence was permitted. Again, the, the idea that anchor babies can become citizens by quote-unquote right of birth is argued against here in very strong terms. 
The status they bore was entirely derived from the permission or grace of the state of residence. And, as they just stated, that, that uh, permission could be withdrawn at any time without having to give any notice, period. It was a species of denization dependent on the donation of the state. Den denization is a verb form of denizen. A denizen is simply a, a the same as a subject. Okay, a person with no rights and, and privileges of citizenship. This decision was Scott versus Sanford, 19 HOW period 393. Continuing, you cannot hold that the one who is incapable of residence here can take lands by descent. Okay, anchor babies are not allowed. One of the reasons, and perhaps that of greatest force now, which prevented an alien from taking lands at common law, was because an interest in the soil requires a permanent allegiance, which would probably be inconsistent with that he oweth to his own natural liege or lord. First BAC period, A period, AB period 201. The reason why lands descending to an alien could not be taken by him was that, quote, the king could not oblige his person and services, unquote. So this goes back to common law in England. The man who cannot become subject to the laws of the state, amenable to the jurisdiction of its courts, cannot be obliged to the services of residence or citizenship, cannot be a freeholder. The freeholder was the liber homo of the common law, the free citizen to whom the guarantees of Magna Carta extended. And if the Lord gave an estate to a man and his heirs, he made the tenant a freeman, if he had not been so before. First Washington. Okay, and uh, trying to find the exact quote here. First Washington on real property, 29,45. Quote, to constitute a perfect title, there must be the union of actual possession, the right of possession, and the right of property. These several constituent parts of title may be divided and distributed among several persons so that one of them may have the possession, another the right of possession, and the third the right of property. Unless they all be united in one and the same party, there cannot be that consolidated right that uh, uh, this is... Uh, Latin. <laughs> it's a Latin sentence here, which I'll avoid. Which, according to the ancient English law, formed a complete title. Okay, 4 Kent 4.11. Quote, a title is thus defined by Lord Coke. Again, Latin. Which, by, which means, it is the means whereby the owner of lands hath the just possession of his property. Two black 103. Thus, we see the right to possession is an essential element of a free freehold estate. An incapacity to take and hold such possession is of necessity inconsistent with its existence. If this estate had devolved on the appellees, which are people making the claim but are not citizens, they could never have entered in possession, nor could they have conveyed to another the right of entry, because it was not in them to convey. All right, so because they're not free white citizens, you can't, no person, no citizen of the United States or of any state could 
give that right to non-whites. Just as in Scripture, no Israelite, whether they marry outside of their race or not, can make that person or their offspring Israelites. Period. That's why such marriages are forbidden. Thus, we see the right to possession is an essential element of a freehold estate. This dissolves all the way from biblical times, folks. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Uh, okay, Try, trying to ignore the Latin again here. Thus, we see the right to possession is an essential element of a freehold estate, and it cannot be transmitted to a non-white person. Okay. So, nor could they have conveyed to another the right of entry because it was not in them to convey. We concur in the argument of the learned counsel for the appellant that the law does nothing vain or useless and that it would have been an absurdity to cast on the appellees the descent of the premises and yet have said to them, if you come to hold and enjoy, it is at the peril of becoming felons and punishable as such. Donovan versus Pitcher, 53 Alabama 411 at pages 414 to 417. Okay, so that would have been a violation of the law to endow these non-white appellees with the right of inheritance. Mr. Arlt then states, Further light may be had at this point by considering the definition of the term droit droit. Quote, Droit, droit, a double right, that is, the right of possession and the right of property. These two rights were, by the theory of the ancient law, distinct, and the above phrase was used to indicate the concurrence of both in one person, which concurrence was necessary to constitute a complete title to land. Mosley and Whitley, Black's Law Dictionary, uh, page 586. So apparently, the right of ownership could be by the owner, could be partitioned to be given, the possession could be given to someone else, but that is not the same as ownership. So maybe a, a farmer who possesses the land to farm it for his feudal lord. So a lot of these laws go back to feudalism, and of course, you know, we're talking about the European white race, we're not talking about any other race. Even in Russia, that was the case. And Mr. Alt continues, a further note in the foregoing opinion is the declaration as to the status of the appellees who were persons of color. They are characterized by the court as subjects, and what privileges they may have had were entirely dependent upon the grace of the state. They did not then, nor do they now, possess, as a matter of title, absolute, quote-unquote, constitutional rights. That is the law, folks. This law has not changed. Don't let anybody tell you that this law has changed. It has not. The 14th Amendment simply hides the real Constitution. Quote, The American colonies brought with them the common and not the civil law. And each state at the Revolution adopted either more or less of it. And not one of them exploded the principle that the place of birth conferred citizenship. Unquote. Amy versus Smith, 
at page 337 and 338. So, again, as we Israelites have always known, the law is on our side. We just have to force the hand of these corrupt politicians and these corrupt corporations and phony owners of our property that, hey, we're taking our property back. It's given to us by Yahweh. Further evidence as to the truthfulness of the foregoing is provided by the opinion of the Attorney General of the United States, one William Wirtz, W-I-R-T-Z, in an opinion dated November 7, 1821. Quote, I presume that the description, citizen of the United States, used in the Constitution, has the same meaning that it has in the several acts of Congress passed under the authority of the Constitution. Otherwise, there will arise a vagueness and uncertainty in our laws, which the 14th Amendment has created, which will make their execution, if not impracticable, at least extremely difficult and dangerous. Yeah, that's exactly what the 14th Amendment has done. Looking to the Constitution as the standard of meaning, it seems very manifest that no person is included in the description of citizen of the United States who is not who has not the full rights of a citizen in the state of his residence. Okay, you have to be a state citizen. Period. The deceptive language of the 14th Amendment conferred federal citizenship to manumitted slaves and imposed it upon free white citizens of the several states without us realizing it. Among other proofs of this, it will be sufficient to advert to the constitutional provision that, quote, the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all the privileges and immunities of citizens of the several states, unquote. Okay? So whatever rights you enjoy in Illinois, you should enjoy in Missouri and Arkansas and Texas, etc. But you have to be careful not, not to, you know, do harm, not, not to hurt anybody. Because uh, you, you will also be subject to their law. You know, they might have stricter penalties for uh, manslaughter than in your home state. That's a legal issue that you might encounter. I'm sure people have encountered such conditions. Okay. Now, if a person born and residing in Virginia, but possessing none of the high characteristics privileges of a citizen of the state, is nevertheless a citizen of Virginia, in the sense of the Constitution, then on his removal into another state, he acquires all the immunities and privileges of a citizen of that other state, although he possessed none of them in the state of his nativity, a consequence which certainly could not have been in the contemplation of the Convention. Okay, so, in other words, just because you move to another state doesn't give you more rights and privileges than you possessed in your state of origin. Okay. So let's continue. Free Negroes and mulattoes can satisfy the requisitions of age and residence as well as the white man, and if nativity, residence, and allegiance combined without the rights and privileges of a white man are sufficient to make him a citizen of the United States in the sense of the Constitution, then free Negroes and mulattoes are eligible to those high offices, 
and may command the purse and the sword of the nation. Well, we don't want that, do we? <laughs> All right, well, we've got it today. For these and other, yeah, Barack Obama commanding the purse and the sword. Full commander in chief, right? Deuteronomy 17, 15. No person not of the Israelites shall rule over you. We have allowed this law to be violated. For these and other reasons, which might easily be multiplied, I am of the opinion that the Constitution, by the description of citizens of the United States, intended those only who enjoyed the full and equal privileges of white citizens in the state of their residence. If this be correct, and if I am right also in the other position, that we must affix the same sense to this description when found in the Act of Congress, as it manifestly has in the Constitution then free people of color in Virginia are not citizens of the United States in the sense of our shipping laws or any other laws passed under the authority of the federal constitution, for such people have very few of the privileges of the citizens of Virginia. So apparently there was an attempt to define these manumitted slaves as citizens of the United States under commercial law. Very interesting. And he enumerates several points here. One, they can vote at no election, although they may be freeholders, but that does not make them citizens. Two, they are incapable of any office of trust or profit, civil or military. Three, they are not competent witnesses against a white man in any case, civil or criminal. Four, they are not enrolled in the militia are incapable of bearing arms and are forbidden even to have in their possession military weapons under the penalties of forfeiture and whipping. Five, they are subject to severe corporal punishment for raising their hand against a white man, except in defense against a wanton assault. Very interesting, because they don't, they don't want white people beating black people for no reason. Six, they are incapable of contracting marriage with a white woman, and the attempt is severely punished. At least it was though in those days. And folks, all these laws will be reinstated. And Yahshua, our Messiah, will see to that. Continuing, these are some of the incapacities which distinguish them from the white citizens of Virginia. But they are, I think, amply sufficient to show that such persons could not have been intended to be embraced by the description citizens of the United States in the sense of the Constitution and acts of Congress. The allegiance which the free man of color owes to the state of Virginia is no evidence of citizenship, for he owes it not in consequence of any oath of allegiance, and that's true of all of these illegal immigrants coming into America. They have taken no oath of allegiance to our laws. They are wrecking our country. They're not even becoming citizens in the spirit, let alone the law. They have been invited here by the international Jew to destroy us. This is a natural consequence. This is nothing but a continuation of Reconstruction. That's what this is, folks. 
and a continuation of the illegal null and void 14th Amendment. Okay? Because it is, well, it's de facto policy, but it is not law. It is not de jure because it violates the Constitution. Continuing. The allegiance which the free man of color owes to the state of Virginia is no evidence of citizenship, for he owes it not in consequence of any oath of allegiance. He is not required or permitted to take any such oath. The allegiance which he owes is that which a sojourning stranger owes, the mere consequence and return for the protection which he receives from the laws, unquote, and obviously from the people of that state. This is from the Opinions of the Attorneys General, Volume 1, pages 506 to 508. So we're seeing from these quotations given to us by Mr. Edward Alt that the organic law of the United States of America and the several states is totally opposed to the idea that non-whites can become citizens. Another quote, but as the laws of the United States do not now authorize any but a white person to become a citizen, it marks the national sentiment upon the subject and creates a presumption that no state had made persons of color citizens. And as it respects Virginia, we know that the free people of color have never been considered or treated either in the pra practice of the country or by the laws of the state as possessing the rights and privileges of citizens. Unquote. All right, so the word citizen, properly understood, can mean only a free white person. And that is still the law, folks. That is still the law in spite of the 14th Amendment. The marginal note on the same page gives further insight into the meaning and passage just quoted. Quote, Prior to the adoption of the Constitution of the United States, each state had a right to make citizens of any person they plead. But as the federal Constitution does not authorize any but white persons to become citizens of the United States, it furnishes a presumption that none other were, the, were then citizens of any state, which presumption will stand until repelled by positive testimony. Okay, I don't think anybody has ever come up with any positive testimony of the kind required here. Now, this is very interesting. Let me read this again, because there are a lot of people, even in identity, who are very critical of the federal constitution. Let me read this again. Prior to the adoption of the Constitution of the United States, each state had a right to make citizens of any person they pleased. But as the federal Constitution does not authorize any but white persons to become citizens of the United States, it furnishes a presumption that none other were than citizens of any state. Or if they were, they no longer were. Which presumption will stand until repelled by positive testimony? Unquote. So all those Constitution haters take that to shame. The foregoing cumulative testimony as to the original basis of the Constitution is attested to by multitudes of authorities in old books. From the lowest justice of the peace to the highest judicial officers in the land, they all ring as one voice declaring the eternal foundations of the American Republic to be the twin citadels of one race and one faith. 
That is Christianity, folks. Not Judeo-Christianity, but pure Christianity as practiced by whites. I quote, the, especially white Israelites, I quote the speech of U.S. Senator Robert H. Toombs of Georgia in Boston, 1856, as to the inevitable consequences of trespassing upon the preamble and alter, altering the posterity of, quote-unquote, free white. Quote, Therefore, so far from being a necessary and proper means of executing granted powers, it is an arbitrary and despotic usurpation against the letter, the spirit, and the declared purposes of the Constitution. For its exercises neither promotes a more perfect union, nor establishes justice, nor ensures domestic tranquility, nor provides for the common defense, nor promotes the general welfare, nor secures the blessings of liberty to ourselves or our posterity, but on the contrary puts in jeopardy all these inestimable, inestimable blessings. It loosens the bonds of union and seeks to establish injustice. I think he's talking about the 14th Amendment. Now, what year is this? Okay, not sure. Okay, yeah, this is after the Civil War. I think it's a commentary on the 14th Amendment. But on the contrary, it puts in jeopardy all these inestimable blessings. It loosens the bonds of the Union. It seeks to establish injustice, disturbs domestic tranquility, weakens the common defense, and endangers the general welfare by sowing hatreds and discords among our people and puts in eminent peril the liberties of the white race by whom and for whom the Constitution was made, unquote. Thank you, Mr. Toombs. From the book, A Constitutional View of the Late War Between the States, by Mr. Stevens, National Publication, Volume 1, at page 632. Folks, wow. That was point number five <laughs> that I just went through for the last hour and 40 minutes. And we're coming upon, uh, I believe there's only seven points. It might be six with uh, conclu concluding remarks. But let me go into point number six now, which heading is, the common law citizenship of the state of Texas is likewise free white. Now, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And I believe in my recent visit to Texas, I asked several Texans there, well, I understand that Texas has an opt-out clause in its constitution so that they could secede without violence, without any, any struggle. And they all assured me that they do, that Texas does have such a provision in its constitution. At this point in time, however, I would say, because there's a lot of talk of secession. I mean, if California wants to secede, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Because it's a communist hellhole. And that's why white people are fleeing that state in droves. That's the one, one of the, between California, New York, and Illinois, we have the three most uh, uh, treasonous states in the Union. Treasonous. Absolutely treasonous. 
Continuing here, as previously discussed under point one, the creating and founding law of the state is the perpetual authority upon which the continued existence thereof, as a part of the perpetual union, is justified. The organic law of the state of Texas includes not only the original constitution of the state of Texas, 1845, but the constitution of the Republic of Texas, 1836, as well. Now, since Texas has a very unusual history of becoming a state, unlike it was the only it was the only uh, common law republic before becoming a state. Okay, the other states simply uh, requested statehood and were granted, but uh, they didn't have a a legislature or anything like that, like Texas did. So. I would still caution the state of Texas to not secede because you don't want to break your, the bonds of friendship between Texas and the other states. You don't want to do that. You want to work with us. Uh, and actually, Texas, we need you. In Illinois, we need you. So don't secede. Continuing. This is so firstly because of Texas's prior existence as an independent and sovereign republic for 10 years previous to joining the Union. Now, Mr. Alt is, was it, a resident of the state of Texas, so he would know the constitution of his own state. Texas never existed as a territory of the United States. Most of the states became territories first and then asked for, upon having the required number of people residing therein, could qualify for statehood. Secondly, a citizenship of the state was predicated upon prior citizenship in the Republic when Texas joined the Union. This and certain other provisions in the 1845 Constitution guarantee the continuing organic authority of the founding law ordained by the people of Texas in 1836. Thirdly, the Constitution of the state of Texas was ordained and established by the people of the Republic of Texas with the specific reservation that they had the unalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their form of government, unquote, which was, <laughs> we have that in our Declaration of Independence, don't we? Okay? Thus, the Constitution of the Republic of Texas was never rescinded or revoked, but merely held in abeyance, and the original Constitution of the state of Texas, 1845, and all subsequent constitutions are fundamentally intertwined therewith. In the language of the various state constitutions and the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, very, very, very similar. The foundations of the state begin with the various Anglo colonization contracts for colonization of the territory and the subsequent documents and declarations setting forth the political, cultural, and religious grievances of the Anglo American population against the tyranny of the Mexican government. Now, this gives us some. A history between Mexico and Texas that I was not aware of until reading this document. Chief among these and primary to the discussion of the organic citizenship in the Republic and then the state of Texas is the Declaration of Independence made by the delegates of the people of Texas in General Convention at Washington on March 2nd, 1836. Is this Washington, D.C. or Washington, Texas? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, it begins as follows, quote, 
when a government has ceased to protect the lives, liberty, and property of the people from whom its legitimate powers are derived, and for the advancement of whose happiness it was instituted, and so far from being a guarantee for their inestimable and inalienable rights, becomes an instrument in the hands of evil rulers for their oppression, sounds just like the Declaration of Independence of America. The, the language is very similar. So, Apparently what this is saying, that the people who lived in Texas when it was a province of Mexico, uh, the white people of that province are, are complaining about oppression and therefore want to declare the Republic of Texas. I think that's the political situation that is being described here. Let's continue. When the federal Republican Constitution of their country, which they had sworn to support, no longer has a substantial existence, and the whole nature of their government has been forcibly changed without their consent from a restricted federative republic composed of sovereign states to a consolidated central military despotism in which every interest is disregarded but that of the army and the priesthood, both the eternal enemies of civil liberty, the ever-ready minions of power, and the usual instruments of tyrants. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, so the history of the white people who migrated into Texas, which at this point, in, at the beginning of this migration, was a province of Mexico, but Mexico underwent several revolutions during this time, it became a military di dictatorship under, uh, who was the uh, Spanish military leader? Uh, the, the general who attacked the, uh, you know, the Texans at various points uh, during the military engagement. So, in other words, what they're saying, because the government of Mexico was so disorganized and nobody was really in charge, and uh, how, how dare you try to enslave us? to your revolution, and the revolution after revolution after revolution, Santa Ana was that general, that uh, you, you can't say now that, that we belong to you, that we are allegiance to you after all these revolutions of your own making? Let me continue. When, in consequence of such acts of malfeasance and abduction on the part of the government, anarchy prevails and civil society is dissolved into its original elements, in such crisis the first law of nature, the right of self-preservation, the inherent and inalienable right of the people to appeal to first principles and take their political affairs into their own hands in extreme cases. Boy, have we got are we in that situation now with COVID, folks? With Klaus Schwab and the uh, Jew World Order breathing down our necks, locking us in irons, forcing us to wear face masks, forcing us to social distance, and injecting us with poisons against our will by deceit? Are we not in exactly the same circumstances as the people of Texas were before they became an independent country? I would say so, folks. History is repeating itself again and again. So, in extreme cases, these elements enjoins it as a right towards themselves and a sacred obligation to their posterity to abolish such government 
and create another in its stead, calculated to rescue them from impending dangers and to secure their welfare and happiness. Okay? They were subject to military occupation by Santa Ana and whoever, whatever dictator would follow him. So they're rejecting this situation. It's, it's too unstable. Uh, but we've already settled the land here. We were invited here by the Mexicans to settle the land and become citizens of Mexico. I think that's the argument. <laughs> and now they say enough is enough. We're not t taking all of this anarchy anymore. But since you invited us here and we've uh, developed the land, we're staying and starting our own country. The Mexican government continuing with this uh, wonderful declaration of independence of the state of Texas, the country of Texas, the Republic of Texas. This is an outstanding document, folks. The Mexican government, by its colonization laws, invited and induced the Anglo-American population of Texas to colonize its wilderness under the pledged faith of a written constitution that they should continue to enjoy that constitutional liberty and Republican government to which they had been habituated in the land of their birth, the United States of America. So, having come from America, the, the government of Mexico promised them that they would have the same rights and privileges as they did in America, whether it was Louisiana, or uh, Arkansas, or Mississippi, or Alabama, etc. Mr. Alch now continues. This is great stuff, folks. I mean, this is taking my breath away. This is fantastic. The resort to the right of self-preservation is central to the justification presented and the pointed reference to the Anglo-American population of Texas. Identifies who the delegates in convention represented, who the people of Texas were, who their posterity was, and who the self was in self-preservation. The further reference to the constitutional liberty and Republican government habituated to them in their native United States also serves to restrict the identification of the declarants since, as previously documented herein, in the land of their nativity, only free white persons had a right to claim constitutional liberty and Republican government. Unquote. Thank you, Mr. Alt. I can do nothing but heap praise upon this document. The evidence that Mr. Alt has uh, you know, accumulated against the 14th Amendment and establishing our constitutional liberties again in opposition to that fake piece of so-called legislation. But it was so craftily worded that nobody realized its significance at the time, what the 14th Amendment had really been created to accomplish, which is to subvert the Constitution and not and take our country away from us, from the free white persons, and give it to anybody else. Okay? The Declaration states further that in regard to the Mexican government, and I quote, it has demanded us to deliver up our arms, which are essential to our defense, the right property of freemen, and formidable only to tyrannical governments. Yeah, our Jew government has tried to take our away our Second Amendment rights forever and has failed to do so. Staged all kinds of false flags in which their agents are the perpetrators 
and not the free white citizens, trying to blame the free white citizens in order to take our guns away. We're in the exact same situation today, it's just they're doing it with more stealth. And guess what? Up in Canada, I expect that the Rothschilds are going to stage a another false flag event, probably a much larger scale than what has happened here in America in their attempt to take away our gun rights. And they're going to hire a bunch of puppet agents to stage some violent event, and they're going to blame it on the Canadian truckers. That's what's going to happen, folks. Mark my word. That's the next phase. Let's continue. It has invaded our country, both by sea and by land, with the intent to lay waste our territory and drive us from our homes. It has now a large mercenary army advancing to carry out against us a war of extermination. Now, this is also a very good argument against the liberals and Latinos who say, and most of them are radical leftists anyway, who say, well, you white people, you stole our land. No, they didn't. Your government, and you are the posterity of that government that created all this anarchy to which the white people rebelled. Your government did that to them. They, they reneged on their, their claim to get, allow them to be free, free white citizens. Your, your ancestors reneged on that deal. And so the people, the white citizens of Texas said, okay, enough is enough. We're, gonna, we're declaring our own republic. Let's continue. And they call this a war of extermination. Folks, COVID is just another war of extermination against the white race. This time it is global. Continuing. These and other grievances were patiently borne by the people of Texas until they reached that point at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. Oh, man, are we getting close? Are we getting close? How many of your relatives are going to have to die before you realize that these injections are killing them and injuring them? Many people losing their limbs and getting all kinds of diseases as a result of sneakily imposed, it's forced vaccination, folks, because it's not informed consent. And since it is not informed consent, it's enforced vaccination. These and other grievances were patiently borne by the people of Texas until they reached that point at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. We then took up arms in defense of the national constitution. We appealed to our Mexican brethren for assistance. Our appeal has been made in vain. Though months have elapsed, no sympathetic response has yet been heard from in the interior. Now, of course, Mexico was going through multiple revolutions. There was a dictator here and a dictator there. You know, what's, what's going on with this country? This is not a country. This is not a country. How long are we supposed to put up with this? We're going to declare our own republic. No sympathetic response has yet been heard from the interior. We are, therefore, and uh, from Mexico City, it was Santa Ana and similar dictators. 
We are therefore forced to the melancholy conclusion that the Mexican people have acquiesced in the destruction of their liberty and the substitution, therefore, of a military government, that they are unfit to be free <laughs> and incapable of self-government. You got that right. Why should we live under your military dictatorship when we joined your republic as freemen? Sounds like a fair argument to me. The necessity of self-preservation, therefore, now de decrees our eternal political separation, unquote. Don't mess with Texas. From the Laws of Texas, Volume 1, pages 1063 to 1066. Wow. What a statement. I need to frame this stuff. This is great. Absolutely great. Okay, but it shows the extent to which the people are put upon before they finally rebel against tyranny. We are fast approaching that same state, not just in America, but every white nation on the face of the earth is facing the same situation where a foreign entity has imposed its tyranny upon all white nations all over the world. We know who it is. It's the Rothschild in the banking class consisting almost totally of Jews, Zionists, Communists, and their ilk. Having, through the issuance of money, through the Federal Reserve Bank, taken control of our economy and our nation. Folks, it's time to throw the parasite off our backs. Mr. Alt continues on page 29. The declaration cites a war of extermination being waged by the Mexican government against the Anglo-American population of Texas, distinguishes between Anglos and the Mexican population, concludes that they are unfit to be free, that is the Mexicans, are unfit to be free and incapable of self-government, unquote, and once more cites the right and necessity of self-preservation as justifying the eternal political separation thus declared. And this statement that the Texans concluded about the Mexicans being incapable of self-government is true of virtually every nation, non-white nation on the face of the earth. They have demonstrated the impossibility of self-government. China has had nothing but tyrannical, sometimes they've had benevolent dictators, but there's always been dictators. Even Japan, blacks, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, etc. The, the Arabs, they have tyrannical dictatorship of the Imams. Jews have the tyrannical dictatorship of the rabbis and their own banksters. There is no possibility of self-government except for the white race. And we Israelites are the inheritors of the responsibility of keeping that institution, self-government, by obeying Yahweh's laws, alive. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. There's another revolution coming. Stay tuned. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.